Bob McCown Podcast brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers online casino and sportsbook app today. I am the aforementioned McCowan. That is the unmentioned Shannon. Yeah, what, what, what about that? Well, I just mentioned you. Okay, I feel better then. That's good. Um, we're going to go dig back into history. Uh, in the uh, early 1990s, um, I think there's some people who know this, but I was a co-owner of a restaurant called M.L. Garduni's, which was directly across the street from the main entrance of Maple Leaf Gardens. Corner of Carlton and Church. Not quite the corner. Yeah, but... Nonetheless. 40 feet. 40 feet. Like, if you walked out the front door of Maple Leaf Gardens... There it was, right there. It was right across the street. You just go, and you are there. Yeah. And fortuitously, um, many people did. Uh, One of my partners in that business, though, was the captain of the Toronto Maple Leafs. Ted Kennedy? No, not that one. Oh. And but might be, might be the most popular maple leaf ever. I hadn't thought about this very much, but Ooh. like think about it. I mean, I, like for me, Dave Keon was the guy when I was growing up. Certainly of certainly of that, you know, that generation. Oh, sure. But Dave Keon never didn't have a personality uh, at all. We didn't know very much about Dave Keon. He was soft-spoken. He didn't say much. He wasn't interviewed a lot. He wasn't high in the public profile. He wasn't funny. But that's where people wear shirts and ties and suits to Maple Leaf games. Uh, you're 100% not, right. Not, 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 not jerseys as well. 100% right. Times do change. Yeah. But Doug Gilmore was, he was the people's captain. Yeah. He was the guy everybody loved. He mm-hmm. was the leader of the team. He was the guy. And uh, Dougie was my partner there uh, as as situations would happen years later i wound up buying doug gilmore's house from him and lived in it for 15 years just sold a little over a year ago so uh (laughs) there there are plenty of connections and i know you knew doug because you were working for hockey night right yeah well and and even before that before he was a maple leaf i my my calgary right we we lived three houses apart in calgary and so we were I was mowing my lawn and he was having somebody mow his. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's him. Um, we're going to have a chat with Dougie today. Uh, the uh, former Leaf captain will join us. Doug Gilmore, when we come back after these messages. Uh, we are back. It's uh, McCowan and Shannon on the program uh, today. And look what the cat dragged in. <laughs> the uh, former captain of the Toronto Maple Leafs, Doug Gilmore, is with us. Well, how are you? Okay. Am I still there? Are you yeah, you're still there. You're, you're okay. good. Okay. Perfect. Things, things, things okay are, with you? Things are great. Uh, my golf game sucks, but uh, beyond that, oh. I'm looking forward to hockey season to start and um, do what we always do. Yeah. Well, well what does keep you busy these days? Um, we got our own line of swag and different things, John, and a lot of carryovers from uh, COVID as well. So that um, – you know, we it was obviously canceled, and now it's coming back. So, like I said, a lot of charity work, and it's been uh, it's been a lot of fun. So, I got I got a few things that you and I have never talked about. Um, and Dougie and I have known each other for I don't know what 20, 25 years, something like that. Yeah, since nineteen ninety ninety three, really. Yeah, we were partners in um, in a restaurant in uh, in downtown Toronto called Gardunis, right across from um, the old Maple Leaf Gardens. So. When you chose a number, I know you've chosen a few over the course of your career. What, what, what came into mind? Was it just a number? Did it mean anything to you, each one of them, or what? Well, growing up uh, in Kingston, I played defense, and I wore number four, um, just like Bobby wore, Doug Gilmore. So, <laughs> yeah. um, and then when I moved to forward, um, I wore number nine in junior, and then uh, 18 in St. Louis, I didn't really have a choice. They just gave me that number. Then uh, Perry Turnbull's traded, and I took over number nine. Got traded to Calgary. Some guy with a mustache, bushy mustache, had number nine. Yeah. Uh, Tim Hunter had 19. Well, I wasn't going to get that one. And then Joel Otto, 29. And that's more of a goalie's number to me, so I went to 39. So when I got traded from uh, – I, I pretty much uh, – I knew it was going to be traded. I didn't know 
when at what well, point or, in time hold on. you knew you were going to be traded you went in and asked for a trade well not really john because what happened is um i was rooming um tim sweeney and our roommates in uh, we're in san francisco playing at the cow palace and uh believe it or not my joining room was with doug risebrow so uh, i got up to go to the bathroom in the morning about 7 a.m and i heard him talking about me because i took him to arbitration and he he felt he lost and whatever um so i just heard my name come up he goes yeah i'm gonna trade that guy i'm gonna trade this guy and so i knew it was coming and uh i just had to pick a date really when uh, i was gonna walk mm-hmm. But there, but you had you and let's be honest, the the relationship between you and Risebrow was not the best. But yeah, we, but but you you did have long discussions with him, saying, "Hey, I know you're going to trade me." Well, we didn't like each other as players, and then as an assistant coach, he really didn't talk to me that much and whatever. Then he became uh, GM, and um, again, I took him to arbitration, and that wasn't uh, um, it was. From my side of it, it was a little embarrassing because he wasn't uh, paired. It was his first arbitration. My uh, uh, agent, Larry Kelly, was obviously a lawyer, just stood up there and read about 200 things. We had affidavits from other players that you, you're allowed to do at that time. And, um, again, it's just, uh, um, you know, he, he, he played me a lot. Um, I can say that uh, sometimes if you – he wanted me to play more like he did in a sense that uh, more physical than mm-hmm. um, like the offensive side of the game. So again, I, uh, New Year's Eve happened and uh, I told the team, we had a team party and I said, guys, I'm going to go play with uh, hockey Canada. It's in Calgary um, until I get traded. And the next day I walked in to see Mr. Risebrow and I packed my equipment up and I told him I was going to go to team Canada. And uh, he says, well, if you walk today, you're going to be traded And 24 hours later. 10 players. <laughs> wow. I'd so never that, heard the Hockey Canada part. I'll be honest. I had never heard that part about you going to play. So that would have been preparing for the 92 Olympics. Is that right? Well, I wouldn't even say that, John. It was more that it was right there, right? So I could, yeah. could continue uh, my conditioning and all that. And I, I, I knew I was going to be treated, but I didn't know. You know, I thought maybe it's probably going to take a week, mm-hmm. not tw- not 24 hours. So it was uh, it was a nice surprise when I, I found out that uh, I was going to Toronto because I know the other team was Hartford, and uh, who knows what would have happened there. Well, yeah. So when you, the, it was never a concept to go and play for Hockey Canada on a long term basis. That was never the plan. No, that was just uh, a thing for me to be in Calgary and train and uh, get ready for when I'm going to get uh, moved. So. Again, this this had to be in the worst, guys. But you know, you just don't do a trade in 24 hours. So, you know, I'm sure um, you know Cliff Fletcher knew the players he was getting, and then uh, you know wh- whoever they felt that they wanted in the trade, they they got. So you were happy to go to Toronto, essentially, but you'd have probably been happy to go almost anywhere other than be in Calgary with Risebrow, right? Correct. Yes. Um, you know, again, you play this game and you love the game. Uh, it doesn't really matter where you play, but you're going to go out and play as hard as you can. And I felt uh, at that point in time, I was coming into my prime as well. And I was just, you know, we had a good hockey club in Calgary. It's a shame that uh, it was dismantled. Um, you know, Al McGinnis, Gary Suter, uh, you know, our rookie in, who won the cup was Th- uh, Theo Fleury, mm-hmm. Joe, Joe Newendike, Gary Roberts. The, the list goes on how, how uh, much talent we did have. And it's, uh, like I said, it's unfortunate. John was my neighbor in Calgary, and it uh, it was uh, really, really uh, kind of sad to see that team uh, uh, fall apart. Well, it, it, and the fascination with it for me was that you were guys. Were, I mean, you were the only team in the history of the Montreal Forum to win the Stanley Cup in Montreal, a visiting team, only yep. team in the history of the building. That's how, and it was that it was there was something special there, but it's hard to. Um, you know, I, I, living in Toronto, and we all live in Toronto now, I, every once in a while, I have to remind people when your name comes up, I said, well, you know, he was a Calgary Flame. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he, he, played I, pre- he played pretty well in Calgary. I just actually went to uh, a little charity in Lloyd Minister, and uh, it was Oilers Against the Flames. So I, I did, uh, 
I guess I might have played about 15 minutes and then I, I don't play anymore, so I just hung them up. But it was nice to nice to see uh, some of the guys, Colin Patterson, Jamie McCowan, Dana Merzen, et cetera. So it was great. When you remind us all, when you came to Toronto, um, this was a team that maybe was close. Did you think it was close to being a good hockey team? You know what? You, you knew the certain people and they had some uh, talent and, uh, you know, good character guys. It's, uh, you know, we, I guess the games that I played, uh, we were probably four or five points out of the playoffs that year. So we were making strides and um, it, it wasn't bad. You know what I mean? Like I, I didn't know what to think. And then uh, when you get there, you know, guys like Dave Ellett, uh, Wendell, uh, Todd Gill, et cetera. It's just, we uh, come on to the next year and then they bring Pat Burns in and, you know, just a demanding coach. And that's what you want. Sometimes you want somebody to push you. And uh, he did that. He pushed all the right buttons for the right players. Burns, he was such an interesting guy. I got to know him a little bit, I think, as you know, and, and um, uh, he, he, he could be a, he could be a, a tough guy off the ice, but he could also be a really good person off the ice, depending on what his mood was a little bit, <laughs> uh, de depending on, on the situation. How did you like playing for him though? Cause he was tough on the, uh, he was tough on the players. Well, he, he said to me when at the start of the year, he goes, you better be the best player in practice. That's going to carry over to games and everybody will follow. So that's, that was his thing. And if I wasn't skating in practice hard or something, he's coming right over to me. He's going to, you know, push me and uh, tell me I need more. So, yeah, we had a great relationship. Uh, you know, he was a, such a great guy, but it's just, again, I was scared. He was uh, almost like that police officer mentality, right? Right. He, so um, if I, if we, you did something wrong during a game, you know he's going to tell you, and he's going to tell you in front of everybody. So he's not going to pinpoint and favor certain guys. you got to follow the rules. And I remember one game – you never lose the puck in the first two minutes or the last two minutes. Well, I did. Uh, Maple Leaf Gardens, I lost the puck at about a minute into the game. They went down, scored, and I didn't see the ice till the third period. So, um, yeah. So, again, I wasn't happy about it. But you know what? Everybody's got to follow up and stay on the same page. How much of a tactician was he? Um, he, he was pretty good defensively. He defensive-minded. Like, he wanted uh, – it's almost like from Montreal, um, Jacques Lemaire kind of thing. Not as much, but he, he wanted to make sure that everybody knew the defensive side of it. And uh, again, he uh, I, I thought probably one of my favorite coaches of all time. I think the smartest coach that I ever had was Jacques Lemaire. But uh, I know Bernsey took a lot from that as well. But so so when you say the def defensive minded, as the center. He, he would come to you and say, here, here are the six responsibilities you have in our own zone or how, how, how would that work? Well, it's pretty much um, anytime uh, you're a forward, especially a centerman, you're back there working with defense. So it's a lot of work and, but it's just more positioning. Like don't let somebody beat you to the net. Um, you know, if the guy's going back and forth in the corner, we'll let him tire himself out. Just so, um, and again, it's just more uh, close the gap area, um, you know, the, pretty much the box. So don't let the, any good chances come from that area. Keep it from the outside. So he, uh, you know, you had to you had to work hard to play for him, and he gave me the opportunity to play a lot. Um, sometimes I kill penalties, and <laughs> I remember one one game, guys, playing against Calgary. I go out, I block a shot, and Zell McGinnis is so it's right in the laces. And it hurts. I crawl off the ice. So I go back out, kill another penalty, and I did a little flamingo. Well, do you think he didn't have that ready to go on uh, the camp uh, in the films, the videos the next day? Oh, here's our, here's our leader. Look at how he blocks shots. So. <laughs> well, who was your best? Who was your best pal on that team, on that Maple Leaf team in the early nineties? Oh, there's a lot of them. Like Wendell, uh, Dave Ellett, uh, Dave McElwain. We all lived downtown, and we, we were always together, kind of thing. Um, you know, when we then we traded for uh, Dave Anderchuk, and obviously the you know him and I playing together, we had great chemistry, and 
Um, he was a great guy off the ice, uh, like to have his beers and have fun. Like we all did back in those days. And it was, uh, uh, yeah, I'd say probably Wendell and Dave Ella were the closest guys I had. So uh, I'll ask you a question. I think you'll appreciate it. Uh, now that you were, uh, you coached, did you ever come to camp in shape? <laughs> did I ever come to camp in shape? Yes, <laughs> I, I did. The, the one camp I didn't really was in that good of shape was in Calgary. Um, we had to leave uh, to check early Czechoslovakia. Then we we're going to Russia, and I, I pretended I broke my foot running, but I broke my foot dancing. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I had a cast on for three weeks before training camp, and I got it off the day we left, and then uh, went right in and played against the uh, the national team uh, in Prague. And uh, it, it took me a little bit of time to catch up on that one. <laughs> I, I would imagine you were sucking and gagging. <laughs> yes, I was. And the worst part about it, we were in Russia and we didn't have enough water. We had to kind of save it. So on the bench during practice, we're drinking warm Pepsi. And oh my God, it was just awful. <laughs> so I know Washington Capitals were over there too, and they had a overabundance of water. So they uh, got some to us, but we, we would shower with tape on our mouth. And it was just different. Like I know some guys got sick because they ate the salad. Um, Washington, wow. Washington <laughs> water, the parasites. So it's uh, yeah, we had to be very, very careful. Hold, we, hold uh, on, hold on. We, you showered with tape on your mouth. Yep. Yep. Wow. And, didn't want, to swallow, didn't want to swallow the, the shower water, huh? No, no, not at all. That's what they told us. So that, uh, really? Huh? It, was, it was just uh, parasites and dirty water. So, <laughs> But it's, uh, it's something that uh, we all got through, and, and it, was, it was a great trip. Going to Czech, Prague was just beautiful. And then, uh, you know, Russia was a little bit different, but uh, it was great hockey. Did you think that Maple Leaf team could have, should have won a Stanley Cup? I felt, you know, we uh, we came all together at the right time. And um, obviously, the uh, playoffs. It's about, you know, even the current Leafs right now. It's you got to say to them, you know, the fans and media don't remember the regular season, so go out and uh, make memories for yourself in the playoffs. And and we did that. We had a great hockey team. Uh, we were, you know, that so close to going to uh, play against Montreal and. I think with all the momentum that was on our side, because I, I believe they won, John, you probably know this. They won like 10 games in overtime. 12, Montreal, I think. Like, well, 12, and, wow. you know, and, and you know who the big goal scorer was in that period of time for them? Kirk your buddy Kirk. Yeah. 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 yeah so that's uh, obviously when we lost out, I was cheering for him. So, but um, that, that team, I, I know Pat Burns, when he came back, uh, uh, when he was ill, um, we had a little reunion at the Scotiabank and, um, he just said, this is my favorite team of all time. So even though he won the cup in uh, Jersey, but um, yeah, we, we had, we had a close knit with the coaches, with Mike Kitchen, Mike Murphy as well. And it was just, uh, it was a fun ride. Now you, you remember that in the playoffs those years, I mean, young street was nuts after you guys would win a playoff game. Were you, did you ride a horse that uh, down young street at one point? Were you one of those guys? I did get on a horse to, uh, after we lost in game seven. Um, <laughs> I did get on a horse because I only lived like a five minute walk away from Maple Leaf Gardens and I couldn't get uh, through there. So it's like, it was, um, we had a uh, open practice one day and it was on a Sunday and it was like one o'clock and I'm, I'm uh, right beside uh, Maple Leaf Gardens on Wood Street. And I look out the balcony and there's like, 7,000 people circling the building and I'm going, how am I going to get in there? So that's where I put my, I put a ball hat on and I put my own Jersey and sunglasses. I stood in line with everybody till I got close to the door and, and the, the security guy let me in. So <laughs> I guess my, my, my point was, can you imagine, I mean, it was th those years in Toronto. Uh, they were, it was crazy. It was crazy <laughs> for the first three rounds of the playoffs. Could you imagine a Toronto Montreal playoff series? In, oh, with, that, with those two that, teams? Yeah, that would have been amazing. And, uh, yeah, that would have been so uh, electric down here. But, uh, you know, you, you saw how the, the Raptors won and yeah. the parade. You imagine the parade with the Toronto Maple Leafs. Oh that would God, be yeah. – yeah, that would be amazing. So you got screwed in that uh, L.A. series, didn't you? Yeah, well, you know what? When you look back at it, like, I've never watched the whole game. 
until during COVID. And it was on uh, TV one time. So I'm watching it. I was so pissed off at Kerry Fraser for the whole game (laughs) because of the the bad calls he made. And I wasn't even talking about the high stick, but on on his defense on that side of it, um, the linesman really didn't help him out because if the linesman called it, then that's a five-minute game misconduct. Gretzky's out of there. Sure. So all the all the lines we have to say is, Carrie, just say you saw it. And we saw it. Give him a two-minute penalty, and then we're four on four. So, so how long how long does, does that stick with you? Does, does that bother you? Is it something when you see the guys? Does it come up in conversation years later, or is no, that, I, does it come and go? No, it's it's gone. Um, I've seen Carrie at banquets and different things, and he's a great guy. And you know, you also feel bad for him as a person because he took a lot of heat on this, and you know. It was uh, crazy times, I'm sure, for many, many years. But um, I, I told Gary, I said, I want to go um, back on the ice one last time after I got hurt. And I just, all I wanted to do was go up and mess your hair up. And you kick, <laughs> you kick me out and I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> you think you would have beaten Montreal? Personally, I do. I you really do. do. I, I think Bernsey, he knew. Uh, their weaknesses, he knew their strengths from leaving there the year before. So, I, I believe that uh, it would have been a good, a good uh, series for sure. But you know, it, you look back at it, Bob. It's like going into the training camp and you say, "Okay, game seven to go to the Stanley Cup Finals." Would you challenge that? Hundred percent, I would. And then uh, you know, there's some articles in the paper uh, at that time that Wayne Gretzky hasn't done anything, and so he just woke up the best player in the game at the time. And uh, he came out and beat us. Oh. You, you mean players read articles? Players read? Uh... <laughs> yes. You, you don't want to read uh, uh, too much, put it that way. But when it's in the playoffs and you're going into game seven, and like if somebody on their team says something to motivate us, we're going to put it up on the board. Mm. So, that uh, that there we knew going into that game that uh, he's going to be fired up and but again I'll uh, I think when the, the whole turning point on, of the game seven there is when Gretzky came off the boards and Kent Manerfield missed him and he took the slap shot and, and scored so that uh, that kind of changed a lot right there yeah did you play much against head to head against him uh, yes and no like it really depends um, who had the matchups were. And, and a lot of times when I was playing with Borshevsky or Anderchuk, and then by the third period, a lot of times I'm playing with Glenn Anderson or Wendell. And so he would change the line um, to get away from certain guys as well. Like Conacher was on the team that was trying to go against me a lot. And, um, but no, I, I wanted to be out there against Wayne. Um, I want to take a break. And then I want to talk a little bit about coaching because uh, that is something that I'm um, I think you aspired to do after your uh, career was over. Doug Gilmore is uh, with us. Uh, We'll take a quick break. Come back after these messages. McCowan, Shannon, and uh, the captain, Doug Gilmore, is uh, with us. We were talking about coaching and guys that um, coached you. And then when your career was over, you spent some time, correct me if I'm wrong, but you spent a couple of years in the front office with the Maple Leafs, kind of, kind of upstairs. Yes. Yeah. Thinking. I, I guess you did. You think maybe a general manager's role was the next step for you? I at that point in time, Bob, I just came back into it. So like, I took about five years off away from hockey altogether, yep. you know, just to be with the kids. And, and then when I came back, I slowly got into it, knowing the uh, you know the minor league system, the whole works, and um, I, I kind of wanted to be uh, a coach, so. You know, Cliff said, well, we got the Marlies. Do you want to go down there and be an assistant? And I said, you know what? Yeah, I'm going to challenge that. So, <clears throat> but a month and a half into it, <clears throat> I get a call from uh, Kingston. And they want me to go up there and coach. So, I go back and see Cliff. He's uh, um, GM at the time. And I said, what do I do? And he goes, well, if you want to be a head coach, you know, take the job. And um, So, again, I spent about a month and a half with uh, the Toronto Marlies and Went to Kingston and and that was that was tough because I didn't know the league I didn't know the players in the league and so you really had to rely on your assistant coaches especially the first couple of months until you you know your divisions and, and your your strengths and your weaknesses of the team so 
I, I kind of put it as far as my coaching philosophy was, I'm going to take little things from all the coaches and yeah. also not do the things that other coaches did hmm. that uh, players wouldn't like. So I wanted to be a player's coach. I'm not there to yell at them. I'm trying to get, make them better, give them confidence. Um, if they make a mistake, you tell them. If they make the mistake again, well, then you're not going to get back on the ice. So, But again, I, I didn't raise my voice. I, it's not what I wanted to be. Um, just want to be a little bit, you know, again, take the same things like from Jacques Lemaire, how you're going to trap at times, um, you know, how your penalty kill is going to go, how your power play is going to go. And, and again, it took me a couple months in Kingston to really figure out, uh, especially in the East Division, like who's the best teams and who's the best players. And again, I, I didn't know any of that going into it. Consciously, did you take stuff from Lemaire specifically? Or, or any of your other coaches? Were you aware would, uh, in your head of what you were doing? Yes. Uh, this is how I wanted the system to go. I also didn't want to take anything back as far as I wanted offense as well. Mm-hmm. So if you, you like for Jacques Lemaire, we would stand at the red line. It was just like Red Rover. And come on, guys, come over to us. Right. And then they're going to turn over and we're gone. And I'm playing with guys like Billy Gear and Brian Rolston. They're, they can fly. So we had we actually had a lot more chances than people think we did in Jersey. We just didn't score. So it was uh, some games, guys. I didn't even break a sweat because we're just waiting for them to come at us. And he, uh, we practiced it every day um, in Jersey and just got better and better. You know their minor league system; they had to do it the same way. So if there was a call up, they knew what to do. So did you implement that system um, in Kingston? A little bit of it. I still wanted a lot of forecheck. Um, um, you know, you you want the puck. And my biggest thing is, especially on a power play, you know, if you have two minutes, I know the guys do it a lot now in the NHL where you carry the puck up the ice and you drop it back. But you, to me, that's, you're wasting time. <laughs> it drives me nuts. I know, you, you, but you're, you're also killing a penalty for them. Yeah. So, um, you know, have guys up high, have your best players come back and, and go with it. So, I know when I played defense with Scott Niedermeyer in Jersey on the power play, sometimes him and I would lead the rush and he was fast enough to, be, to get back. So there's no issue, but yeah. So I, I took a lot of little things and then obviously the game changes and you want to watch what uh, the NHL coaches do. I try to implement that to our players all the time. Guys watch the NHL, watch what, what position you are and what player you like, mm-hmm. watch what he does out there. It goes a long way. If you watch somebody and, and, and even when I played, I, you had to pay attention. For me, I had to pay attention to defense. Because if we're playing against Chicago, Chelios is going to run me. Manson's going to take my head off. Marchman's going to take my knee out. Steve Smith's going to take my head off. So that's what you got to prepare for. <clears throat> I didn't care what forward I played against. It, it didn't really matter. So, but when you're on the bench, you're a centerman. You watch all the centermen on their team taking face-offs. What are they doing? How are you going to beat them? For me, I'd play posse sometimes in, in the neutral zone, let them win the face-off. When I needed to win in the offensive zone or defensive zone, then I knew what I was doing. Yeah. So, and what was your best – what do you feel your best trait was as a coach? Uh, I just think it was just communication. Um, to this day, there's a lot of guys that uh, call me coach and that I, that I did coach. and um, I, My practices weren't long. Um, again, if we had – if Going into a third period, if, if nobody's working hard, nobody's doing anything, then I would just pretty much say, well, let's get ready for practice. Then tomorrow, boys, it's not going to be easy. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, it just turns their heads a little bit. And then the, the, your top guys will pick it up and and uh, hopefully you can, you can get a win. So then about thir- after my third year coaching, guys, uh, the, the owner called me up and he goes, I want you to be the GM as well. And I said, well, I don't know if I can do both guys. Right. And so at that point in time, I, I stepped down from coaching and went to the GM side. And hindsight, I could have done it. Would have been no problem because you know, it, mo- most of the stuff you're, it's like in the NHL, your assistant uh, GM does most of the scouting and your scouts. So uh, the GM stays with the players, and and then again, you're in the office, and some days it's so friggin' boring. Because there's not much going on, and you can only make so many trades during the year, and you're dealing with kids. Right. The hardest thing for me, being the GM side of it, was was cutting kids because that their dream was like my dream, 
and I, uh, I just kiboshed the dream. I know it's a reality, but it, uh, it's not a lot of fun doing it. Yeah. The reason I ask you that is that we, we had a discussion earlier in the week about elite players learning how to coach. And there, the list of, in any sport, the list of great players that coach is pretty short, Doug. Yeah. Because they don't, they're, they don't have enough patience and they don't understand why their players or their, the athletes around them don't see the game as easy as they do. Did you, run through, did you run through that? I, you know what? It's, it's hard to say. Um, I, I never really, you know, you don't try to implement your game into somebody else. You got you to gotta look at what they're good at and what they're not good at and just kind of try to make it better that way. So I think the, how a team has to base themselves on, especially in junior hockey, they play Friday, Saturday, Sunday pretty much, and it's not easy. So they need rest. Um, you know, you've got to follow the rules. You've you got your breakfast club that comes in the morning, the guys that are done school. Um, you can't be late for certain things. You, you just got to kind of treat them as, you know, your kids, but also uh, adults in a sense that they, you know, this is where you're going next, guys. You know, some guys are going pro. Some guys are going to school. And, um, again, I, for, for my side of the coaching side, for, for junior hockey especially, you're, you're, you have the team that uh, you, uh, you draft, right? So, so you don't know who the players are. And it's like, for me, I just, as the coach side of it, I just had to watch these guys in practice and watch them in, in games. And, and again, did I want to go to the next level, John? I don't know if I really wanted to go to the next level as a head coach. Um, I would have easily gone as an assistant coach. Mm-hmm. And if I felt that I was ready to go um, as a head coach, then you, that'd be the next step. But uh, it really wasn't in my uh, makeup to say that I, was gonna, I wanted to go and be a head coach. Well, that's interesting, you know, that you say that because – you know, you take five years off after your career is over, you get back into the game and, you know, sort of in the front office, then the opportunity to coach comes along and you take that. And I, I mean, I think I know you well enough that you don't want to do something half-assed. You want, you want to be, you want to be good at what you do. And, um, and so you wind up going to junior and I think in your head, Doug, what you wanted, that was a step towards a coaching job in the NHL. And I assume a head coaching job. You now you say maybe not, but yeah. Well, I, I I'm not going to take something I'm not prepared for, mm-hmm. and and that's a you know like you guys are prepared every day when you do this job. Well, not and, necessarily. Okay, <laughs> so but you know what? Again, you've got to you've got to know uh, the league. You got to know the yeah. players. It's everything that uh, puts that together. So um, yeah, did I go to learn how to be a head coach? Yes. Did I think I'd go to the NHL as a head coach? Never really crossed my mind, guys. I, Seriously? I really, yep. I really, when when I got back into it, I gave all I could as a coach in the junior ranks. And again, it's different. It's not uh, the minors or it's not the, the NHL. Sure. So you have a handful of players or maybe three players that might go pro and then the rest are going to school. So you here's your team and you got to do the best you can with it. And it's uh, it's something that, again, it was only three years of doing it as well. So then I went to the GM side of it, and it was uh, it was fun. But again, it's it's junior hockey, and it's not quite, uh, um, you know, sometimes uh, a small market team like Kingston, we don't get the best players available, and so sometimes you've got to when you're at the draft, you're picking a kid in the draft. It's not going to be drafted to the NHL, but it's going to be a really good junior you have for four years. Mm-hmm. Although you did have some pretty good players. When you think of, I think Sam was on your team, wasn't he? Sam Bennett was on your team? Yes. Yeah. Lawson Krause was on your team? Lawson uh, Krause was there. Uh, uh, Roland McEwen on your team, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, good, good Branson as and, well. Yeah, sure. So when you, when you watch the NHL now and you see Sam still playing, and Sam, actually Sam changed his game to play in the NHL. Lawson hasn't necessarily changed this game, but when you watch your, the guys that you coached in junior hockey play the game uh, at the NHL level, what, what goes through your mind? It's, it's rewarding to see them there. Uh, more important. You, you, it's not, 
it's not rocket science it's here. It's uh, you know the players that are going to go. Yeah. And uh, he was one of those guys. He was driven. Um, he was great in the dress room. He competed for everybody, uh, stood up for everybody. Uh, he, was, uh, he was ready to be a pro at any time. Do you wake up in the morning sometimes and wonder what would have happened with your career if you'd continued coaching? Or, or are you happy you got out? Well, 11 years, uh, Bob got in junior and I live in Burlington. So as a GM side of it, most of the scouting is in Toronto, the GTHL. Uh, we have to go to certain tournaments for, to watch uh, some American players. But again, American players from we might get would be from New York State area or Jersey. Uh, a lot of Michigan ones don't want to come to us. They want to stay there near Windsor or London, uh, Kitchener possibly. So it, uh, it was an eye-opener as being a GM and, um, you know, when you – the best players available there and you can't get them. It, that sucks. But uh, it was the, the travel from uh, every day for uh, not every day, but every week to go back and forth uh, to Burlington, to Kingston. And it, it got to me. The 401 really did bug me. And, um, you know, my 407 bills were crazy, but uh, it's, it's the only way I was going to do it. Mm. Um. When you look at where junior hockey is now, I mean, you went, you, you played through an age where nobody talked about players getting paid. You guys got a monthly stipend. Yeah. Um, and, and that was pretty much it. Uh, what do you think about players being paid, junior players being paid? Is that a good idea? Um, you know what? I'm kind of on the fence because of how the owner side of it as well, uh, how they afford it. You know, there's a, a school package for every kid. And you think about it, if your team, you only have, uh, in, say, three years, you have six kids that make the NHL, so their school package is gone. There's a lot of money that you're paying out there to the kids for, um, you know, you can have the full rides are um, uh, rent and books and uh, schooling and all, all that. But you can only have seven of those on your team. So when you trade for a guy, uh, sometimes you might have to take his full package too. So as far as the players do kind of get paid, you know, I know it's just a I know. Like 30 bucks a week or whatever it is now. And, um, and then again, it's great for a family that uh, can't afford his son to go to university after um, his playing career. So I, I think it's, I think it's, uh, it's a great game. It's a great league. And I, I think it's okay the way it is. But the kids, the truth is, the kids, when they're playing, do not place a significant value. The majority of them do not place a significant value on the educational opportunities that are presented to them post their hockey career. Mm -hmm. They all want to play in the National Hockey League. These are the best juniors, yep. essentially, in the world, right? Yep. And they want to play hockey. The value of that education program is inconsequential to them, at least the first couple of years, don't you think? Yeah, they don't care about that. It's it's more the parents, it's the families that uh, yeah. don't want that. Uh, that's not every kid that comes into that junior team wants to go to the next level. Yeah. And and again, it is a reality. It's hard to get there, um, but at the same time, that is a great backup plan. And I had a young kid um, we got from Sault Ste. Marie from uh, my one of my first trades with Cal Dubas. Um, kid from Toronto, uh, kind of in the jungle behind Yorkdale Mall. And he, uh, he was a good player. Um, I don't think he was good enough to get the NHL, but he was a good player for us. He uh, is a centerman. Uh, we had some defensemen hurt. He played defense for me. And here's why I'm bringing him, him up. His name is Mike Fine. And he uh, went on to be the captain at uh, on the University downtown. Um, Ryerson? Ryerson and he uh you know he came kind of came from a bad area a single parent and uh he's got a great job and he's done very well for himself so it's uh it's it's rewarding to see uh stuff like that so, so how, how might uh, that that's an interesting um line of of conversation when when you're on the bus and god knows those bus rides are long when you're <laughs> on the bus with those players uh, do you get a chance to talk to them about hey listen and particularly those, let's let's say the bottom six forwards and your your 
your five, six, seven defensemen to say, hey, listen, what are you going to do after you finish playing? Do, do, you have, do you have time to talk to them? Or is that in the job of being a coach in, in junior hockey? It's, uh, it's in between, John. It's a good question. Um, you don't kind of bring something like that up until towards the end of the season. And you know a guy could be an overage or it could be a uh, 19-year-old that is not coming back as an overage. So, yeah, it's a, it's a fine line there. You don't want to still kibosh your dreams. And, you, you know, we want to make these players better still for us to do well in the playoffs. So um, I think more that's a year-end meetings. And when we say bye to everybody or, or the guys who are coming back or the guys that are leaving, going to school right. or, or if they're going somewhere else. So, yeah, we kind of uh, – kind of assistant and I would sit down at, at the end of the year and, and one of the coaches – and we'd uh, ask questions. Uh, okay, what's your next step now? So you always want to kind of be in touch. You, have, you always have your phone number. If you can help out in any way, that's what we did. So I'm sitting here thinking of what it would be like to have Doug Gilmore as my coach. You know, there are plenty of junior coaches that are very good at what they do and they've done it for a long period of time. But if I'm a 15, 16-year-old kid and I go to junior hockey and I've got a coach who I know as a coach, but I don't have any idea who he was as a player. My relationship with him is going to be, you know, pure player coach. But I got Doug Gilmore as my head coach. Mm-hmm. I got a guy who's won Stanley Cups. Who yeah, has but it was been... his parents that are more in, more in tune with Doug Gilmore than the kids. <laughs> well, either way, I'm, like how much time did you spend or have to spend with kids or parents telling stories about Doug Gilmore? Uh, truthfully, I didn't bring that up at any time. Really? Uh, I didn't, you, you don't go into it saying, well, when I played, I did this. You, you, you don't do that. You just, you bring out facts to say, okay, you see that player on that team? You want to be like that guy. You've you got the skill to be like that. you got the talent to be like that guy. So I, I would never really go back to uh, my game. Um, but what about them? Did they come, did they always want to talk to you about Gretzky, the, the game seven, all that stuff? No, that was more the parents. John was right on that one. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, uh, they, they know more about uh, that than, than my game. So, um, yeah, they'd go back and obviously YouTube and stuff, and they would come in and say, hey, I saw your game last night. For, uh, a lot of times they say, what are the rules? What were the rules back then? <laughs> yeah, there were no rules. Yeah, there wasn't. It was like water skiing behind a five-horse merc. It's like all, all the way down the ice. Uh, even my boys, they, they would laugh as well, just don't high stick, uh, don't cross check too hard. I guess maybe a trip and call here and there, but it's like, there's, there's no holding. Yeah. I use, I use friction tape on my, on my stick because it would grab onto the player's pants really well. So it was sticky. <laughs> <laughs> so in your time in Kingston, how many NHL teams called and said, Hey, would you like to talk about a job? Uh, do you know what? I, I don't think I was coaching long enough to do that. It's, uh, nobody called. Uh, no, we get calls all the time from, uh, especially the assistant GMs. Sure. But it's about players. Yeah. And it's like, uh, you know, what's he like off the ice and all that other stuff. And so, uh, no, I was, uh, I was committed, John, no matter what to stay in Kingston for a little bit, because obviously I, I left home at an early age and, now I had a chance to be with my parents yeah. and uh, I had a good six, seven years with them before they passed on. So um, I got no regrets on what I did and I enjoyed every minute of it. Um, it uh, it's a lot of, especially the GM side, it's a lot of work. It's uh, it's like 10 months of the year, no matter what, maybe even 11 for that matter. Uh, keep an eye on what you, you need. Like, for example, we have a 50 man roster. So you go into the draft and, and uh, just say it's uh, May, and then we have to delete. We have 15 rounds in the draft, so now I have I have to delete 15 guys off of that list to to, to go That'd in. That'd be hard. That'd be hard. Yeah, and again, you don't know. Like maybe some guy's going to take two years to develop, and now I, I don't have room for him. And uh, you're you're drafting a 14th or 15th round kid. The odds are he's really not going to make it. But um, but you got to drop another kid off the list that's older. And, you know, the best players in the league are 18, 19, 20 years old and, and juniors. So sure. it, it's something that it, it's hard. You really got to manage it. 
well. And um, again, it's a, it's a money driven sport, but there's not a lot of money. In it. <laughs> not in that level. No. Well, not at that level is right. We so need... no, reg- no, no regrets, huh? About No, uh, not at all. Not at all. What happened there? No, I'm turning 60 next year. I've uh, Christ, you're old. Yeah, I know. Just uh, I, I enjoyed, you know, three years riding the bus. And then as a GM side, I could drive on my own or with the assistant GM and scouts and whatever. But uh, no, I'm glad I went. I'm glad I did it. Uh, it was a great experience. Um, it's uh, a lot more work than people think. And mm-hmm. uh, it was fun. though. It really was. Are you still a fan of the game? Do you watch all the time or you watch a little bit or, or not at all? I watch all the time. Do you? I'm a, yeah, I'm a big fan. So I'm, I'm going to watch, uh, obviously, the Leafs all the time. And I don't really catch uh, some of the, the Calgary games anymore. It gets too late for me, but it's just uh, unless it's a weekend kind of thing. But, yeah, no, I, I love the game. I love watching it. And, uh, you know, my other favorite sport is baseball. So, I'm watching the Jays every night out here, uh, loving it. Well, um, you certainly were, um, you were the focal point of sports in Toronto. You know that in the early 1990s, while the Blue Jays were winning world series, there was always Doug Gilmore and the Toronto Maple Leafs. And, um, that was as big as it got. And, uh, you deserved every minute of it, uh, based on your, your performance. Well, listen, man, I, uh, it was, timing was impeccable um, as far as my age and everything else. And, and then, uh, you know, just when you add players to a team that make it better, um, that, that goes a long way for a guy, especially like a guy like Wendell that was struggling with, you know, on a losing team. And, and you know, he's just a, a true warrior. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I always tell a story about um, in 93, 94, we're playing against Vancouver and Gito Ojek's all over me every shift. And so Wendell just went up to Pavel Alberti. I said, if Gino touches Gilmore one more time, I'm going to knock you out. So <laughs> Gino didn't, Gino didn't come around me too often after that. So <laughs> we didn't even get a chance to talk about that unique contract you had with the Maple Leafs. Cause really it, it, it couldn't exist now because of the salary cap and the way things are, but basically they bought you lock, stock and barrel, including your marketing rights. Didn't they? They did. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that uh, yeah, I had to sign off on a lot of stuff that way. But it, uh, I again, it was it was great, and uh, I got traded to Jersey, and then the following year, I had an option year in my contract. So I, no matter what, I was getting a race. So it was, yeah. it worked out. Yeah, good. And uh, and you had to wear those damn cow uh, stockings. It's good. Yeah, and people uh, every once in a while, somebody will bring a poster out, and and uh, it's kind of neat to see it, but. True story, the milk board brought me in for that, and I had to go in early, and they shaved my legs. They gave me a Speedo. Milk board spots, yeah. Yeah, so they gave me a Speedo. They shaved my legs, and they started (laughs) – it was painting. It was in makeup. So you imagine standing there after you do the first set of the commercial. You got to take the jersey off uh, because it's it's rubbing on your legs and the the makeup's uh, being removed. And So now they bring in – people from their, their staff and everything else to kind of a meet and greet. And I'm standing there with cow legs, a speedo on, and I got to shake their hands. I said, turn the heat up, please. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they were the good old days. Um, they were. Yeah, man. Uh, we all remember very well. Uh, listen, pal, we thank you very much for taking some time for us today. That was, that was great fun. Oh, uh, I, think people, I think people learned a lot about, uh, about Doug Gilmore today and, and well, they should. Uh, thanks a lot. Continued uh, happiness and success, and uh, we'll chat down the road, I hope. Sounds good, Bob. Thanks, man. Thanks, John. All right, buddy. See the captain, guys. Doug Gilmore, will come back after these messages. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, You won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Uh, We are back. Bob McCowan, John Shannon, and our sincere thanks to Doug Gilmore. A a good pal to both of us. uh, Absolutely. uh, And and when you think about it... um, 
the, the Leafs of that vintage, 93 and 94, um, were really good. And, and people, people have put them on a pedestal and, and they, that team remains on a pedestal similar to, in my mind, the, the 2015 Jays, Bob, right. Because they made such an, they made such an impact, didn't win a championship, but made a huge impact. And, and, and again, it goes back to generations talk about, well, remember the Gilmore goal against Curtis Joseph and remember the Batista backflip though. Those were, those were things that are, now in, ingrained in your memory if you were a, a Blue Jay or a Maple Leaf fan at that period of time. One of the things I remember, and I guess other people do too, is that 93 team. Um, the Blue Jays were in October yeah. and winning a World Series. Right. And the Toronto Maple Leafs started with 10 consecutive victories that year. Yeah. Pat Burns doesn't get enough credit for what a great coach he was. And Dougie talked about what he, what he did for the team and well, he how, wasn't... How, accountable, how accountable he made his players. Yeah, and he wasn't just a great coach. He was a great person, too, I, I, I must say. Um, when you describe the way he, he talked to people, good mood, bad mood, he was a cop. He coached like a cop. And yeah, he did. You, your cop could be, a cop could be your best friend, or if he walked and you could hear the squeak in the leather of the shoes, eh, not that good. <laughs> I know the first time I interviewed him, I was quite intimidated by him. Oh, yeah. Um, as much as you possibly can be in, in the kind of job that we have. But, uh, you know... He was tough, yeah. but over time we got to be friends and there was a completely different side to him. Agreed. And that, that he never, he didn't show a lot of people. No. I, and I, I, there are those that said over the years, whether it was after he coached and he got to work in television on the French side, uh, where we got to be very good friends. Uh, Pat Burns was a good person. He, he, really he was, was a very good person. And, and, and guys like Gilmore learned a lot from him on how to treat people. Well, uh, I, I'm not going to disagree with you. I, I liked him very much and yeah. um, was so sad that uh, he left us prematurely. Far too soon. Far too soon. Uh, Blue Jays are playing well. Uh, ever. And uh, they have, have a lead over, depending on when you're listening to this, um, they have a lead over Tampa right now. And uh, who knows if they can keep it up over the one, last, one thing we can say weeks. is they won the series against Tampa. Well, they did, and um, but they have more to come. Uh, a few more series of great significance. I don't know if they can catch the New York Yankees, but if they can get the first wild card, that's that's big. Yeah, because you get you get home field advantage if you do. We'll that. talk baseball tomorrow. We'll do that again. Our thanks to Doug Gilmore for joining us. For John Shannon, Bob McCowan. We'll see you. Bye bye, everybody. <laughs>